Hello everyone, welcome to another week at Switchboard. This week I'm speaking to the lovely George and Tix, who are two of the people behind their student initiative Scoop. Scoop is run by a group of students that aim to create an avenue for others at the university to be able to access real food, but without the waste. This not-for-profit runs every other week and can be found on a Saturday at various college locations across Cambridge and provides an opportunity that many high street shops are not, the ability to provide non-perishable items without it being wrapped in layers and layers of plastic. I'm here today with them to discuss a variety of topics including plastic pollution, consumerism's impacts on the environment and steps we can take as individuals to make a difference. I really hope you enjoy the episode and make sure to check out Scoop. talking about scoop and more generally about plastic pollution in general so first if we start um why what gave you the idea to start scoop in the first place so i started scoop because reducing plastic is really important to me and the amount of plastic that i use and i found that throughout my entire first year in cambridge i could not do my weekly shopping without taking a huge amount of plastic and as someone who tries in every part of my life to reduce that i found it really frustrating not to have any options around me to just buy simple things like pasta, which I eat a lot of, without taking lots of plastic. Um, a lot of the time it can't be recycled. So we started Scoop so that you can bring your Tupperwares, containers, things you used before, and then without using more plastic, just get the food that you need. Cool. And what colour food is available at Scoop? So we do all dry foods, um, non-perishable foods. So basic things like pasta, rice, uh, beans, chickpeas, lentils, couscous, things like that. And then we've got dates and some olive oil and banana chips, which people quite enjoy. Oh, perfect. And how often does it happen? So Scoop takes place every two weeks. We pop up in a different college. Um, so we've been in Pembroke for the first couple of weeks, and then we're going to be moving around the colleges, always on a Saturday between 11 and 4, staffed by volunteers and just in a different place to see if we can get some different people to come. So some would say that what you're doing is quite new, quite novel. Would you agree with them or would you say that actually what's happening is more maybe a process of unlearning the habits we've got into and that the supermarkets are forcing us into by you have to buy your apples in packets of six with a packet around them and then throw that away? Um, would you say this is something new that um, has never been done before or would you say actually we're just going back in time and taking us back to a place where we're not just chucking plastic away? Mm-hmm. I think... Um in Cambridge and in British society in general, it seems quite novel to have a zero waste shop, which is obviously not our idea. There are others in the country. Um, and it's, it seems quite novel, it seems quite progressive to come and bring your Tupperware and it's exciting to shop in that way. But actually, exactly as you say, we're not doing anything new at all. We're just trying to cut out that period of history where people started using plastic to get all their shopping. So we're trying to take people back to... Um, a way of life where you don't consider something single use and you find a way to go about practical things like shopping without always um, using something that you throw away afterwards. I think a big problem nowadays is that that's made very hard for people and supermarkets do package a lot of their foods that don't need to be packaged and they do so a lot of the time so that their products look fresher and completely untouched and that's how they're driving that consumerism. Um, but I think 
um, that the only way to change that system and to force supermarkets to start progressing or regressing as well is to make this idea of minimal waste or zero waste living much more at the forefront of everyone's minds so that actually it's not a big step for supermarkets to take but rather they are keeping up with where we the consumers are trying to drive them to go. So talking about kind of plastic in supermarkets what would you say to those who say well more recyclable plastics being introduced in the system and that's actually quite a good thing and we can actually recycle that so why should we be necessarily be reducing that level of plastic and get rid of it completely when we've actually taken steps to improve that more recently? I think for me obviously recycling materials and um, researching trying to synthesize different materials that we can more easily recycle is really important but I also think that to answer the question of we need to reduce plastic with we can recycle it is to dodge the topic almost entirely in the sense that we can create different ways to sustain this lifestyle of single use or we can address the lifestyle of single use itself and not have to even recycle things at all. So nowadays a lot of the plastic we use is recyclable and only a small proportion of that does actually get recycled and that's a problem in itself. But a lot of the plastic that we use isn't recyclable and in a society and a way of living where plastic as single use is acceptable it's quite hard to make that distinction and only use things that are recyclable and ensure they're recycled and you naturally end up and I do as well use things that aren't recyclable so do you think the only way to address that system entirely is to change our mindset and change our habit completely so that we don't try and adapt our single use consumerism but we change it completely so that we don't need to take these forms of packaging at all. Yeah, I do want to add as well that a lot of um, recyclable plastics take a lot of energy to recycle. Um, so to melt down and reform into a new shape takes a lot of, um, obviously you need heat, so that's going to consume some sort of energy and it's unlikely that that recycling process is done using sustainable energy. Um, so recycling is better, but it's not the solution. So you mentioned there about consumerism as well. And do you see consumerism as being an inherently negative thing, especially in the fact that you could argue the way the trends are going, whether it not be just in food, but also in fashion as well, to do with it contributes so much to kind of the climate crisis we face, plastic getting in the seas, getting in or also. But I think one of the hardest things is it's easy to ignore the problem when you're in the UK and you don't see the plastic in the UK, but it's just going elsewhere and going abroad and it's a big problem there. Is that something that we can tackle as individuals or do you think it's something that needs to be more top down from, say, in a policy perspective um, or both as well? I think there are a couple of really important things there. The question at the end about if we can tackle that individually or if it needs to be a top down approach is a really important one. And I think obviously to solve some of the big issues that we're working with, that will need governmental change, policy change, and that will have to be top down. But I also don't think that um, the government will take progressive steps by itself unless it can start to see these small grassroots changes in our individual habits coming through. So I think that we have to be proactive in order to see the change rather than just say that our ch the habits that we could change are less impactful and therefore don't need to be addressed. Um, in terms of consumerism, um, I have nothing against buying new things. I think I really I enjoy you know shopping every now and then. But you did touch on the fashion industry, which is a really interesting one, um, because I do certainly think that 
part of the, uh, they call it the fast fashion industry, insists on this single-use mindset being brought into the world of fashion as well. And as a consumer-driven market, it's almost encouraged to be buying things, but to not attach yourself to them so that you can buy the next thing. And given that a lot of the things that we wear and we see on the high street are made from unsustainable materials, take a lot of energy to produce, um, sometimes uh, exploiting the workers or the conditions that they provide for those workers to make those materials and then have to transport them all the way to us for us to buy them. I think that um, there are lots of problems there that we could personally address by trying to be more considerate and think about what we're buying and whether we need to buy it and whether we buy things or don't buy things on some of those principles that I mentioned. Um, yeah, I would say as well that um, a big part of the consumerist mindset um, is based on a planet which has infinite resources um, and that's kind of been around since the idea of like modernism and progress and like since the, the idea that to be more progressive we need to buy more, make more, have more money in the bank, have more profit um, and that model is actually based on an infinite resource um, like set of yeah <laughs> assumptions um, and that's just not something that we do have and we don't we've got one finite planet um, and so actually yeah consumerism is kind of a problem and not to consume but to consume things that are new that you might buy that dress for Halloween that you wear once um, it's just it's just like pretty unacceptable given the like the state of the, of the planet um, and I think the good th obviously with food for example I'm not saying we should all starve ourselves um, but there are so many ways that we can make um, consuming food completely sustainable like we've all fed ourselves for a long time on this planet and it is possible it's just that we have to do it without using yeah without using plastics um also that thinking that you always should get what you want for example if you want strawberries in winter you just shouldn't get strawberries in winter because strawberries are not seasonal in winter um and it's that mind that the consumer mindset is like you can have whatever you want whenever you want delivered to your doorstep and that's actually really problematic mm. i was watching something recently and it was really interesting the um they were talking about carbon emissions from like a certain family and what they were producing. And one of the most interesting things is actually, even if they took flights in that year, even though that contributes quite a lot of their carbon footprint um, in what they kind of described it as, it was food that was such a massive one and was something that even, so I'm vegetarian myself, that I hadn't quite comprehended how much of a difference that made. Um, so I did it um, and compared it with a friend and just by having meat not primarily in my diet means that it drops down quite significantly. Um, and actually the food industry itself is something that does that need to change as well um, and not just the kind of packaging it's in or because uh, it is it sustainable and I think a lot of people would argue no but what changes could people perhaps make especially if they don't want to make that quite that leap to going I want to cut meat out of my diet because for a lot of people that's either not something that's sustainable for them personally or just is quite a big step and then they don't want to they put their kind of guide up and don't want to do it. Um. I think the biggest thing on that is um is local like going local and um a lot of the like you say a lot of the footprint that comes from the food industry is from transport um and is from the fact that you've got to ship all this food somehow in a like kind of preserved environment so they have to use loads of weird fridge systems and stuff like on planes and lorries like it's basically yeah the transport is a massive part of the footprint um and so if you can buy local um then absolutely do like it's one of the most important things um, and again buy seasonal because if it's if it is, yeah, strawberries in winter, it won't have come from anywhere in this continent. Um, so, yeah, it's about buying local, just buying appropriate stuff. And you don't have to deprive yourself. Like, you can have an amazing diet um, whilst also being more sustainable. Um, yeah.
I completely agree with that. I think it's really important to um, to understand that by buying locally or um, buying within season isn't isn't actually that drastic, and you're not limiting yourself. It's just something that is more of an active, conscious decision to um, to live and eat and consume in a way that doesn't really put a strain on the world around you, but rather just responds to it. Um, I do think it's worth mentioning, um, although vegetarianism can be off-putting to some people, and I completely understand that, and I wouldn't preach to anyone that they have to suddenly turn vegetarian. However, the meat industry and the dairy industry is responsible for a huge part of the carbon emissions that the food and the agriculture industry as a whole produces. And so even if you're not um, willing to go fully vegetarian, the difference that just one day, for example, or even the difference that just individual meals can make is actually surprisingly big. And we can all kind of see if we take a flight, we're emitting a certain quantity of carbon and we can kind of track that. And it's less easy to track how much we're um, carbon emissions we're producing by eating meat on whatever day of the week it is. But it is actually a really substantial amount. And um, so I would encourage people, if they are worried about their carbon footprint and trying to think of a really easy way to reduce that, it's maybe just one, maybe it's two days, maybe it's a weekend, whatever it is, just to not eat meat. And you'll find that that actually really cuts your carbon emissions by quite a lot. And also, and it depends what kind of meat you get. So, for example, if you have chicken every day, that's actually better than having beef three times a week. So red meat is really the, the big problem um, for a lot of reasons. Um, but, yeah, if you have, for example, I don't know, your neighbour has chickens and every now and then you have one of their chickens, that's completely fine. That's, that's sustainable living. Um, the issue is the way we've been taught we can just go to a supermarket and pick, you know, three steaks packaged in plastic off the shelf we don't know where they're from. We don't know how they were like treated or how the, that um, industry has affected our planet. So. so talking about the food industry and where food comes from. So with Scoop, where do you guys get your food every other week from? Um, so we basically do a massive bulk buy. The, the whole idea is that while we obviously advertise as like, zero waste, we do have a tiny bit of waste. We're just kind of trying to get as much food as we can in bulk so then that everyone else can do their shop um, zero waste. Um, so we do order from a wholesale supplier uh, which tries to provide organic food um, at a very minimal uh, waste kind of um, amount. <laughs> cool. And how do you find that the price isn't too much, especially when it's transferred onto students that are buying? Um, it's actually crazy cheap. Like in the first week when everyone was arriving and doing their payments and their weights and we were like, have we made a mistake? Like, it was so cheap, it's ridiculous. And it's because it's wholesale, so there's no, mm. we don't add, we've added 5p per kilo to the price. Um, so for example, if you want to get your mixed herbs from us, it's a quarter of the price of Sainsbury's per 100 grams. Um, same with like dates. I got a whole box of dates, which normally dates are like really a treat, they're really expensive. Yeah. And yeah, it was so cheap. Um, and I just bought so many dates as a result. That's really so yeah, it's good. crazy cheap. It's like it, every, pretty much every single ingredient is cheaper, at least in Sainsbury's. I'm sure you can find some of the like cheaper versions in Aldi, but this stuff is all organic um, and plastic free. So. Perfect. Because I was going to ask as well, the problem that I think some people find, especially either when it's to do with more sustainable living or to do with um, sometimes it's to do with changing diets as well, mm. is actually how accessible is it for people who... Um, for those sometimes it can be from lower socioeconomic backgrounds it can do with just how much money you have but also students are often quite tight on that budget yeah. so it's more searching for what's the cheapest option and maybe not the most sustainable option mm. so by doing that it's quite good but would would there be other tips for those especially students 
um, looking to become more sustainable to actually mm. be able to do that around Cambridge while still sticking to their budgets? Um, cycle to Aldi. <laughs> you will never look back. Like I shop at Aldi every week instead of Sainsbury's and my weekly shop is like 12 quid mm. um, compared to probably like 30 quid, which is my normal, uh, my mate's normal weekly shop in Sainsbury's. Um, so yeah, definitely go to the cheaper shops. Like, they're not any worse. They're just a bit further out. Mm. Um, and yeah, obviously I was come to Scoop because it's genuinely so much cheaper. Um, and also generally just, um, it's just about buying the things um, that are good. For example, if you do want to have meat still, fair enough. I'm veggie, but like I'm not a preacher. Um, mm. Yeah, get your like nice organic chicken um, or local if you can find it from the market once a week and you can actually make a chicken go a long way and it won't it won't actually end up costing any more than you spend on meat you know maybe three packs of like beef um minced beef from sainsbury's um and so if you just yeah get one thing make it last be inventive uh, be creative and um yeah you'll honestly eat better than before <laughs> <laughs> no that's really true yeah so my boyfriend went what is it he was like oh i'm gonna be veggie and i have been some stuff not that long, but a few mm. years now. And loads of my friends are like, oh, have you preached? I'm like, no, I haven't at all. He just decided, <laughs> but for environmental yeah. reasons. But he is finding that break quite hard. Or I think after years, I just mm. don't know anymore what it is yeah, like. Yeah. Where I think that change is quite hard. And he's like, oh, I just had a bit of chicken. I'm like, that's fine. Yeah, don't I worry went about recently it. recently as well, and I still miss chicken. Yeah, and it's um, such a hard yeah. thing, I think. Yeah, and actually yeah. just sometimes... So he's like, oh, if it's flexitarian, okay. I'm like, you don't have to ask me. Just That's do what fine, you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is that kind of mix of actually just yeah. bringing it down, but yeah. and just being still aware of what the kind of implications are, and then mm. choosing maybe if you want to treat, treat, have a bit of red meat, but actually if you're more on the white meat, then it's a lot easier and more yeah, sustainable. Totally. Yeah, I'm the same. I went. I only went vegetarian um, like ten months ago on the first mm. of January last year. Um, Mine was around a January time. As well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it was just I just kind of thought I'm, I do quite a lot of environmental activism within Cambridge, and I felt like a bit of a hypocrite. Um, but yeah, I I would definitely say that sometimes I'm flexitarian. Like when I was in um, Greece over summer, and I saw like fresh fish getting caught by these tiny little local fishermen. I was like, that's fine. I can eat that. It's completely sustainable. Because the reason I do it isn't for ethical reasons. Um, I personally do feel I could kill a fish if I had to. Mm. Um, so it's more for environmental reasons. Um, so yeah, if you do eat a marshmallow and it's got gelatin in it, it doesn't matter. Like it's fine. It's just about making those choices and yeah, like you say, being aware of what your what your um, diet does. Um, in, sorry, how your diet does impact the planet and yeah. the environment. Cool. And kind of going on from there. Do you think that it's possible for people to make little steps that will then kind of lead into big steps? Or do you think there's going to be a point, especially with loads of um, kind of reports coming out more recently, that actually the estimates that the government said that by 2050 is just not going to happen? Or it's if we carry on the way we're going, even though we're making improvements, we're just not going to get there in time. Mm-hmm. Do you think that people making little steps now is going to get there? Or do you think people need to need to make big changes? Or do you think actually just the way that I mean Brexit doesn't help with things but actually that we do need so much more attention to the issue from that government level at the moment yeah I'd say ultimately you can't put the onus on people to make Mm. the big changes people 100% can make the small changes it's governments and systems and corporations that should be making the big those big changes and it's up to them to do that because a they have got a huge like productive power role so they can if they make a big change they will influence so many people to make those big changes. Um, it's like the example of Cambridge and divestment. If the Cambridge University does divest, 
it's got a huge social status and it will impact other universities and other corporations to withdraw investments from fossil fuels. It's that same idea of like you want to have top down stuff and bottom down, um, sorry, bottom up, um, like activism or change. Um, it can't all happen in one area. For example, if we all went vegetarian in the UK, it's not going to make the difference um, that we need to get the um, global warming limited to 1.5 degrees by 2030, um, which is the kind of limit set in the IPCC report, unless we want mm. kind of disastrous stuff to happen stuff, if yeah. we go above 1.5 degrees. No, I think it was really yeah. interesting as well, the reports about that the UK has loads of offshore wind farms and wind farms that's actually mm. able to sustain the electricity, but even that is just not enough. Mm. Because when you take it in that global perspective, Britain is quite small. Yeah. Um, and also you have to look at the historical impacts of Britain. Of, like, yeah. It's, I think that's really important. A lot of people are saying, oh, you know, if the whole of China went vegetarian, maybe then, the, you know, the world would be okay. It's like, well, who knows? But ultimately, the onus isn't on China to do, mm. the, you know, to make the big steps, to make the big moves. It's on the countries from, like, mostly from the West, so the Europe and um, the USA, um, who've got historically massive carbon, um, like, carbon footprints. Um, and so you can't just look at now and say, oh, you know, India and China, um, with their massive industrializations, are impacting the planet the most it's like well they're not actually um the usa is still is um the highest but um you have to look at the history and you have to look mm. at the implications of like for example um colonialism um and all the various ways that um yeah the kind of the carbon debt of the us and the uk is a lot higher no great cool and if students say talked a bit about stuff going on in cambridge with divestment if students are interested in getting involved but say especially for, say, freshers who've just arrived, mm. they don't quite know where to get involved, say it's coming to Scoop at the weekends, but if they want to make big changes, what are avenues that they can go down? There's so much activism in Cambridge. Like, I turned up being kind of interested in stuff, but no mm. idea what I got into. I would get into. Um, I say Zero Carbon is really accessible because, I mean, the whole idea of it is that it's kind of, like, holocratically led, so there's supposed to be, like, horizontal leadership. And so when you do turn up at first, it's almost quite scary because you have equal as much of a role in the group as people that have been there for three years. But also, obviously, they have the knowledge and they do share it. There's, like, buddy systems where you can get paired up with someone that's more experienced and learn about it. Um, loads of other stuff is get involved in your green societies, in your colleges. College is so chill, like, it's not scary. It's Like, there'll only be, like, five people in the green meeting, probably. So do turn up, do go. Um, if the green officer emails around and says, hey, guys, sign up for your compost bins, just sign up. It doesn't take much. It takes like five seconds to send an email. Um, so yeah, if you're really worried about stuff, you know, or kind of socially anxious or anything, then definitely college is the way to start because it's so small. You've probably met the people already or you know someone who knows them. Um, so yeah, and then once you get more confident, definitely have a dip into stuff like Zero Carbon, um, into come, come along to Scoop because it, it literally makes no difference to you as in you're not going to be... Um, you know, signing up for any responsibility or have to come to any meetings. Uh, you just got to be there once a week with your jars and fill up your pasta and rice. Um, so, yeah. No, great. And kind of wrapping up around here. So around Cambridge, where can people find you, um, whether it's in the pop-up shops? So how often does it happen? Where does it happen? And yeah, how can they get more information? Yeah, so obviously, as we are just um, run by student volunteers, it is only pop-ups. So it's once a week or once every two weeks, depending on how many people come each week um, generally we try and do it once a week um, but this term might be going to the yeah once every two weeks um, and it pops up in different colleges the whole point is that it can be a chance to see a new college that you've never seen before um, normally it'll be in either their JCR or kind of one of their 
one of their rooms that we can rent out. Um, uh, this week it's in Keys, so tomorrow, <laughs> uh, Saturday second. I don't know when this is coming out. Um, but yeah, it's it's on tomorrow. Um, in Keys, JCR. Uh, the week after, we don't know. It kind of changes, and the the big um thing about that is you have to keep an eye on the Facebook or the Instagram. Um, so we update the Instagram and the Facebook. Like there's posts every day. Um, so do you have a follow? It's just called Scoop Cambridge on both Facebook and Instagram. Um, so yeah, have a follow. It will always tell you when it's going to be, uh, what time and where. Um, and also you can then um sign up to be a volunteer, which just means that you can volunteer like one hour a week of your time, um, to be a shop leader or a floor manager. Um, so yeah, get involved, follow us, um, and. Hopefully we'll see you there with some dates and banana chips and pasta. There's so much food. <laughs> That's all we've got time for, but thank you for joining us on this week's episode on Scoop. Their pop-up shops run every other week on a Saturday at a variety of colleges. Entry is free, the products are zero waste, and anyone can come along and see what's on offer. This episode can be downloaded from whatever platform you get your podcast from. Make sure to subscribe to get updates on our future episodes. This has been Holly McCaskill on Switchboard. Thank you for listening and tune in for our next episode where we speak to the president of the Mabel's President's Committee. Goodbye. <laughs>